All right, good morning to you. It is good to be with you this morning, and uh, I'm glad God allowed that to happen. And uh, some of y'all know I've had the flu this week, and, and I'm trying to avoid you for that reason. And uh, But anyway, so it's just good to be with you today. I wanted to share so badly this message, this last message on our Right on the Money. And uh, like I said, it's just wonderful to be in the house of the Lord. It's kind of interesting, by the way. I got to, I, I was in my office, and I came in late, so I watched part of the opening on the television and got to experience that. And then I sat back on that pew and watched you guys worshiping. And that was just an interesting perspective that we don't normally get to have. And so it's kind of cool. So today we want to talk about uh, generosity. It's, a, it's the, it's the wrap-up of it all. We talked about the giving idea, but such a different aspect of giving. Now, what I did was, there's a new phenomenon, and I don't know if it's kind of new or not, but the, the thing called the generational thing. And, you know, I, I knew there was always something called the greatest generation. And then I heard even about later on, there were some other generations. So I went and found out, here's how, here's how it pans out. Now, first off, the greatest generation was originally entitled the GI generation. And for those who served time in the military, then you know that GI stands for government issue. So many of that early generation that brought us through the Great Depression and World War II served in the military. And so consequently, they were known as GI. But then Tom Brokaw came along, oh, about 30 years ago, and coined the phrase the greatest generation. And so they became known as that generation. And again, they were raised through the Great Depression, and then they, of course, uh, led us through World War II. And they were born 1900 to 1926. Okay, then we have what is called the silent generation. I didn't know about this one. Because they were silent, okay? The silent generation, and that's 1927 to 1945. That's when they were born. And so most of those, maybe maybe just the very tail end, the very youngest, got to serve in World War II. But most of them did not serve in World War II, although they went through the Great Depression, often as young teenagers and young adults. And guess what they did do? And I, you know, I always think, when I think about the Korean War, I always think about Paul Emery. Um, because Paul, I'll never forget one day, it's one of the favorite things that happened here. You know, we were honoring the World War II vets, and right at that door right back there, he came and said, Dwayne, why don't you ever recognize the Korean veterans? And, uh, you know, and of course, Korea is known as the Forgotten War. And he was so right. He later came back and said, I hope I didn't offend you. I said, you did not offend me. You're absolutely right. So this silent generation then, who went through the Great Depression, but really did not serve very much in World War II, but did serve in Korea. Korea. And so that's the silent generation. And then we have us. We have usins, okay? And that's the baby boomers. And that's 1946 to 1964. 1946 to 1964. And uh, we are the product of all those guys who came back home and decided to have families, okay, after World War II. And, uh, and frankly, you know, what we're famous for is, you know, it's all about us. You know, if you think back to the 60s and the 70s, it was all about us, babe. You know, life is good. If it feels good, do it. And that was a horrible legacy. And then we came up to Generation X, which is 1965 to 1979. And, and they are known as the, the first generation to say, we won't have it as good as our parents did. You know, always each succeeding generation passed on something better than the parents had. Well, in Generation X, that was not the case. They were born into a very, very bad recession. And then there's Generation Y and Generation Z, and their characteristics are this long. 
Okay, huge. Now, what I discovered, though, through all these generations is each one of them handled generosity differently. As an example, you know, the greatest generation, the silent generation, having been brought up in the Great Depression, they had a real scarcity uh, mentality, a real, a real scarcity mentality. And so, so things were lean. They were raised where things were very lean. And so consequently, uh, they were big savers, um, and it was very hard for them. They were willing to sacrifice their lives, but it was very difficult for them to give away because so many of them lost everything they had in the Great Depression. So there was great scarcity there. And I hate to say this, but boomers, it, we, we were spenders. I mean, put it in our hands, and we spent it. That's just our mentality was. It wasn't about saving, and we weren't really good generous givers either. By and far, we like to spend the money. But here's what's interesting is X, Y, Z. Um, of course, we know and familiar the fact that so many of these, particularly the, uh, the Z generation, the latest generation, so many of them have walked away from church. Um, frankly, they're looking for something authentic, and when they look at church, they don't often see the authenticity. So it may have walked away. But here's what I do know. The ones, these younger generation, the ones who really buy into God, really buy into generosity. However, it's got to be something they believe in. It's got to be something that they believe in. And when you put something before these young people who they really, really believe in, they will pull out their wallet and they will give. And again, I've got a little insider information I see what goes on in Judy's class where that, some of that generation is, and I'm amazed at some of the people they help that you don't even know about. But you know, they'll hear about a need, and out comes the wallet, and they start giving money. So, so when, they, when they see a need, they're willing to give to it. So different kinds of generosity across all the generations. But what I want to present to you today is the idea and the thought that there's a generation G, and that is the generosity generation. And it should span all across the church body because it's based on Jesus Christ and it's not based on age. In other words, because we're all members of the body of Christ. Brent, I'm going to have to ask you to give me some water, please. My mouth is way dry. Okay, thank you, buddy. Um, so because it spans across Jesus and not ages, then, of course, it goes across that all. Now, we've been in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and I still believe that 1 Timothy chapter 6 is one of the greatest teachings on how we should boss our wealth, how we should handle our money in the entire Bible. So I want to start out this morning by reading verse 17. Now, last, last week we spent the entire time talking about really the warnings of money. You know, because again, it's, you know, I, 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 I made a statement last week that was really hard for someone, and I surely got what they meant. You know, when I said something like this, I said, you know, it's easier to be poor than it is rich. And that's easy to say from this stage saying that. And, then, and I understood exactly what that person was saying. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. But the truth is, wealth is such a dangerous thing. Wealth is such a dangerous thing. And so we spent all last week talking about the dangers of wealth. And so here's how it panned out last week. In 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So, so he gives us this warning about don't let stuff own you. Don't let money own you. Don't depend on money because money is uncertain. So then he comes now this week and tells us about how we are to be a generous 
people. Look what he says. It's amazing. They are to do good and to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So the first thing he teaches us is that we need to be hands-on generous. Hands-on generous. Even before he says that we're to take what we have, before we pull out our wallets and, and give what we've got, that we are to get our hands dirty. When he says in 1 Timothy 6.18, he says they are to do good and to be rich in good works. Those are hands-on statements. You know, it's one thing, and it's a good thing, by the way, to write a check. But it's another thing to get your hands dirty. One of the things we picked up two years ago in Africa is when Jeremy wrote a devotion that used the term Jesus dust. And when we go to to Uganda, everywhere we go, there's this red dust. And his thought and his idea was is that we are there doing the work of Jesus. And like men and women who follow after someone who stirs up the dust, so we are following in the steps of Jesus and get Jesus dust all over us. So Paul encourages us then that in our generosity to make sure we're not just writing a check, but to make sure that we're doing generosity. You know, in Acts 10.38, I knew it was in there. I had to find it. But in Acts 10.38, Luke records and says this, Jesus went about doing good. That was what he did. I love the fact that Jesus saw situations and then made a difference. Jesus saw situations and then determined to make a difference. When we go to Africa, and I often am allowed to do the opening speech to the folks there, and I'll talk about this. I'll say, we have come to tell you about a man named Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ went from village to village, healing and touching and helping people. And just like Jesus went from village to village, so we have come today to tell you about Jesus and to make a difference in your life with free medicine. And so in the same way then, we should be like Jesus. We should go about doing good. The church of, listen, the church of God should always be doing good. We are not a social club. We're not an insider's club. We are a hands and feet of Jesus club. Our job is to take the dirt of Jesus, the dust of Jesus, and spread it throughout our community. Amen? That's hugely important. That's hugely important. Now, you say, well, how does that happen, Dwayne? Well, again, the Bible's so rich and when it talks about scriptures about generosity and doing. In 2 Corinthians 9, 8, and this is the NIV version, in 2 Corinthians 9, 8, it says, and God is able. Someone say, God is able. See, see, we, we lose sight of this. We, we lose sight of the fact that this whole deal happens because of God. I mean, if, we, if, it, if ministry depended on us, we wouldn't get a whole lot done. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe in too many churches, it's us trying to do it and not God doing it. So God is able. So, so God is able, now listen, listen, to make all grace abound to you. Now, you've got to understand, see, back in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, Paul said, you know, just, we, we talked about this, you know, just like you've got, you've got, you know, excellence in speech and knowledge and all these things, let, you know, abound in this grace also. So giving, generosity, is a grace. It is a grace. So he says that God is able to make all grace abound to you. Now watch, watch, watch. 
So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So God will equip us with grace at all times, in all places, in all ways to abound in good works. Here's something the Lord gave me yesterday. I was sitting in the office studying. God is willing to place resources in our hands as long as our hands are open and not closed. Let me say that again. God is willing to put resources in our hands as long as our hands are open and not closed. When we become tight-fisted, God cannot put resources in our hand, nor trust us with resources in our hands. But God is more than willing to put stuff in our hands if we're willing to do the ministry that he has called us to do. Now, John Wesley, who is the founder of the Independent Methodist uh, Movement, and we won't hold that against him, all right? I'm sure thinking of this scripture in 2 Corinthians said this, Do all the good you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. We are to live our lives doing as much good as we can in this world. For the purpose, by the way, in case, because see, God did not call us to be a social organization. He called us to be a gospel lighthouse. So we do good for the purpose of sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? We agree on that? We agree on that? Now, Andy Stanley said this, Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, I am certain, uh, before he said that, he said it this way. I didn't dream this up. I know I didn't. But I remember him saying it this way. Don't fail to do for one just because you can't do it for everyone. I think that's, I remember saying that. Don't fail to do for one just because you can't do it for everyone. You see, every bit of generosity helps. Every bit of generosity helps. It's one of my favorite stories. You know, and you've probably heard it. Would you just tolerate me because I'm sick today? But I love this story about a man who was walking along a seashore. And during the high tide of the night, literally dozens and hundreds of starfish had, had uh, been pushed up on the shore. And they were laying there, and they needed to be in the water. They were dying. And so the young man began picking up and throwing starfish back into the ocean. Another man came by and toward him and said, So what are you doing? He says, I'm throwing starfish back into the ocean. And the man said, You can't save all these starfish. You can't make a difference in all these starfish. And he picked one up and threw it in and said, No, but I can make a difference in that one. I can save that one. And what we've got to understand is, often we say because God has put... Amen, Lord. Because God has not put vast resources in our hands, we can't make a difference. Let me tell you something. That is not true. We do not know. This was somewhere else in the message, so you'll just get it now. Did God not take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed thousands of people? Did God not take the lunch of a little boy and feed thousands of people? Why do we underestimate the power of God when our generosity is there and say, God, take this, use it, and bless it? Why can't we trust him to do exactly that? Why can't we just trust him? You do not have to have vast amounts of resources to be generous. In fact, it's a proven fact often that those with the least are the most generous. 
So Annie Stanley says, don't fail to do for one just because you can't do it for everyone. So then a fair question is, so how can we help these things happen in our life? How can we help ourselves that we learn to do good? Okay, well, in Ecclesiastes 4.12, in Ecclesiastes 4.12, here's what it says. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. In other words, if you have one strand, pretty easy to break. Two stronger, three is not easily broken. So I want to give you three scriptures today and three principles that will help you to continue doing good. To continue doing good. The first one is this. Colossians 3.17. Colossians 3.17. Here's what it says. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. So number one is this. Our generosity is not about us, it's about him. Yeah, thank you. Our generosity is not about us, it's about him. When we are being generous, it's not to make us feel better, it's for his honor and for his glory. Okay? So, keep that principle in mind, that we are generous because God was generous to us. We are generous because God was generous to us. And by the way, this is time, this is talents, this is abilities, and yes, this is resources. But we are generous because God was generous to us. So whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So not only to remember that we're doing it because of God, for Jesus Christ and his glory, but also we are to keep our heart of gratitude. Keep our heart of gratitude. Always being thankful for what God has done for us. Now listen, again, when times are lean, that's a little more difficult. One of my favorite stories is Charles Stanley, and that's Andy's daddy, and he is still the pastor. Uh, He's like almost 90 years old, still preaches fabulously uh, in the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And many, many, many years ago, I was listening to him speak at a convention. And he said, one day I was driving to church, and there was an old woman pushing a buggy full of garbage. And I said to myself, he said to himself, But by the grace of God, there go I. But by the grace of God, there go I. If we will keep that mentality, that thought in our brain, that we have and are what we have and are because of God's amazing grace, that will go a long way in helping us be generous. So remember, we do it. Our generosity is not about us. It's about God. And we maintain a grateful heart. The second thing is this. It's Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Let us not grow tired or get tired of doing good. Now, there's a, such a thing called generosity fatigue. Generosity fatigue. It's when we have a generous spirit and we give and we give and we give, and we just grow weary, okay, in giving. That can happen. That can happen to pastors. It can happen to to lay people. It can happen in our private lives. We give and give until there simply seems like there's nothing more to give. In this case, I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about emotionally. There's just nothing left to give. So, So Paul says, don't get tired of doing good. Okay, then watch this, watch this. So how do you think you don't get tired? All right, two is answered by one. You don't grow tired by remembering, okay, that it's not about you. This generosity gig is not about you. It's for God's glory. 
and we keep a constant attitude as of I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful. So when we give God the glory and we're thankful, we're thankful, then it helps us not grow tired of doing good. For, listen, we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. There's a harvest coming, and we're going to talk about that in the message. There's a harvest coming for us if we're just willing to wait for it. Then Paul says this, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all. Let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of faith. So we're to look for opportunities. Now, some of you um, are fortunate and have stock portfolios. And you look for places to put your investments. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. Let us look for opportunities. We are to constantly be looking about, again, not, not dependent on the largeness of our resources. But we are to look constantly, God, how can I invest what you've placed in my hands for the greatest yield in eternity? Whether, whether you've got $2 to throw into the plate, that's all you've got to spare, okay? Or whether you've got thousands of dollars to invest. It doesn't matter. As, as children of God and as stewards of God, we are to take what we have and look for opportunities to invest it for the long term for eternity. The third thing is this. And this is a hard one. Okay, it's James 4.17. James 4.17. Learned this when I was a kid. Therefore, this is King James... Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, him is sin. In other words, if you know to do good and you don't do it, it's a sin. I mean, it's, you know, you sit there and say, man, I, I, he, saw that, he saw that homeless guy and he could have helped him and he didn't. That's just not cool, okay? Or, man, that's just not nice. Well, listen, when we know to do good and we don't do it, okay, it's not only not nice, it's not only not cool, it's a sin. It's a sin. So we got to be alert. How many times? I'd ask you to raise your hand, but it doesn't matter. Okay? How many of you have been going down the road and you saw somebody broke down or you saw somebody with a need and you drove by it and you're saying, oh no, I missed it. And some of you even turned around and went back because you knew what? You knew God was saying, now's your turn. Amen? Amen. We've all experienced that. Okay, so we've got to be sensitive then to the Holy Spirit. And when God says do it, we've got to do it. Because if we don't do it, it becomes what? Sin. It becomes sin. All right? It becomes sin. Okay? All right, good deal. Now, the second thing Paul teaches us in 1 Timothy 6, in the second part of verse 18, is to be generous and ready to share. To be generous and ready to share. Now, 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 now we move from doing good and rich in good works to be generous and ready to share. First, he tells us now, we need to get our hands dirty. We got to get some Jesus dust on us, okay? We just don't want to sit in an office somewhere and write checks, okay? That was what so many churches did that in the early 50s and, and early 60s, okay? You know, they would, they would send money to the missionaries, but they would never think about getting their hands dirty. Okay, so Paul said, now you got to get your hands dirty. And by the way, this is a dirty hand church. This is a Jesus dust church. I mean, I tell you what, some of my best memories, I, I'll just go ahead and tell you now, my favorite memory of back to school involves Jim Lindsay sitting right back there. And there's a picture of that man on his hands and knees in front of a little girl with dirty feet getting her new shoes and he's washing her feet. And that to, that's been what, eight, ten years ago, Jim? And still blesses my heart. Because that's what Jesus would do. He would take the dirty feet of a child and wash them. So thank you, God.
that we're a dirty hands church. We're a Jesus dust kind of church. So he says now we're to be generous and ready to share. Now listen, again, don't underestimate what God can do through your obedient generosity. Don't underestimate what God can do through your obedient generosity. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Satan will lie to you and say, you don't have much, so you cannot be generous. That is just a lie. That is a lie. You know, God is far less concerned with the dollar amount than he is with our hearts. He cares about our heart. And when our heart is obedient and generous, he can take it, he can use it, and he can bless it. Okay? Now, I love this scripture in Proverbs eleven twenty four. It says... I am dry today. In 11.24, one person freely gives, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right, only to become poor. Isn't that amazing? Are you amazed at the paradoxes of the Bible? If you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. And here in Proverbs it says, you know, it's amazing. One person gives freely and has more, and one person withholds only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. It's amazing how God blesses generosity. God blesses generosity. And that is so not prosperity gospel. That's just the fact that God blesses our generosity. Now, Max Lucado one of my favorite authors, says this. When grace happens, generosity happens. When grace happens, generosity happens. Unsquashable, eye-popping, big-heartedness happens. See, the the most outlandish, extravagant thing that God does is grace. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? I mean, just think about the fact of all that God has given us. I mean, I'm still blown away by the fact I'm going to spend eternity in heaven. And there's nothing I can do to change that, okay? I don't have to be perfect to get that. It's all by God's amazing grace. It's just amazing. And when grace, listen, when a, when a body of believers starts coming together, okay, starts coming together and experiencing grace, generosity explodes. I really like this. You know, back in, in verse 18, he says, to be generous and ready to share. Well, you know what generous means. It means to be generous. But it's so cool. The word ready to share is actually one Greek word. Okay? And the Greek word for fellowship is koinia. Koinia. Okay? Now, that word, koinia, is directly related to this word, ready to share. And so what Paul is saying is that there's a fellowship of generosity. There's a fellow. Remember the, the, the fellowship of the ring, if you remember the, the trilogy there, okay? So, so Paul is saying that there's a fellowship of generosity, and that fellowship of generosity is the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And see, when things come together, when people come together and are generous together, big, big things can happen. Little as much when God is in it. Amen? Little as much when God is in it. So, Max Lucado, again, grace happens, generosity happens, unsquashable, eye-popping, big-hardness happens. F.F. Bruce, and he's just another theologian, but he said one thing I want you to get today. Okay, I don't put these quotes arbitrarily. He said one thing. You know, God bestows his blessings without discrimination. It rains on the just and the unjust, the Bible says. The followers, here it is, 
The followers of Jesus are children of God, and they should manifest the family likeness by doing good to all, even those who deserve the opposite. That's powerful. We should see, we should mimic the generosity of the Father. And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But God demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an incredibly generous God. And we are supposed to mimic the Father. We are to pattern our lives after the Father. So, now, I know there's more than three kinds of generosity, but I want to give you three here today. And the first is spontaneous. Spontaneous generosity. Now, here's the deal. I, we have, in order for this to be impactful, what I'm fixing to say, is we've got to understand that Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And he had the ability to, to manage that. I, I can't even get around my arms around it, but he could manage it, okay? But here's the deal. You know, the idea that God was being spontaneous, well, God knows everything. How can it be spontaneous? But on the human side, I think there's some spontaneity here that Jesus does. Okay, here's what it says. I mean, you know the scripture. It's Matthew 15, 32. So, you know, he's taught the people, all right? And Jesus calls his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the people. It's like he almost went, oh, okay? I have compassion for the people because they have remained with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry for they might faint on the way. It's like Jesus looked at these people and said, you know, we need to do something about this. These people, if I send them away like this, they're, they're going to faint on the way. It's, well, yeah, it's almost like in his humanity has a spontaneous moment of compassion saying, we need to do something. And you know what? You experience those too. Sometimes generosity just hits us. You know, uh, one of our church members was sharing a story with me that happened just several months ago. And she was at line, in line at Walmart. And so she's behind a, a, a lady, and the lady had a link card. And so she had her stuff went through, and she ran a link card, failed. Link card, failed. Link card, failed. Okay? And just in a moment of incredible generosity, and I'm on, she didn't tell me how much it was, but she reached in her purse and grabbed her own debit card and said, here, I'll pay for it. And then, I love this part. Then she reached over and got a little hug and said, Jesus loves you. Isn't that precious? Isn't that precious? Spontaneous generosity. Sometimes it just hits us and we do something. God says, act, and we act. What a beautiful generosity that is. But sometimes it's strategic. And matter of fact, it really sometimes needs to be strategic. I used this verse last week, Luke 16, 8, the, the second part. It says, uh, Jesus was telling a parable, and he says, For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. In other words, Jesus is saying, The people of the world are better at accomplishing their purpose financially than the people of God are. Oh, what an indictment. What an indictment. Jesus says the people of the world are better at accomplishing their purposes than the kingdom of God people are. Huh. How about that? You know, what a deal is. But here's the deal. We, we have opportunities for you to give strategically. Sometimes you've got to plan generosity. You've got to plan generosity. Now, as you know, we've got several offerings that we do a year at Doorsville. And each one of those, we know they're on the calendar, and those are opportunities for you to give strategically. 
You know, as an example, we have the Lottie Moon International Missions Offering. And all that, now, how much of it goes to international missions? All of it. No administrative cost, none of that, okay, no advertising. All of it goes to international missions. And last year, and I love throwing these numbers around because I think they're incredible. Last year, $33,749 was given to our international missions fund offering. $33,000. Now, someone didn't write a check for $30,000 and rest y'all gave $3,000. You know how that happened? The fellowship of generosity. People came together. Some could give a little and some gave a lot and everybody received the blessing and God's work got done. The fellowship of generosity. How about this? There's a, we're in it right now, or fixing to come into it, the North American Missions Offering where we reach out across America and Mexico and Canada and Puerto Rico. We reach across all those areas, okay? Last year... $26,044 through this church ministry was given to North, Amer- North American Missions. Isn't that awesome? How's that happen? The fellowship of generosity. People come together, they believe in a cause, and they give. That's how it happens. Um, global, I love this one. Global hunger. This is not one that's widely promoted in SBC Life. $20,808. From this church fellowship, the fellowship of generosity, people coming together, believing in a cause, and giving. Um, Baptist Children's Home and Family Ministries, yeah, $13,111. Wow. Um, um, the Illinois Badness, which reached out in church planning in Illinois, okay, uh, $9,292. If my math is right, that comes over $100,000, $103,000. So how does a group of people in an economically depressed area and not a very large church give $103,000 strategically to missions? It's the fellowship of generosity. That's how it happens. There's not a cash cow. There's not a sugar daddy. It's people believing in the cause of God and doing it. Isn't that good? Amen? Amen. So, so there's strategic giving. And one of these days we'll talk about a little bit more about that and how you can be a part of that. And the last one is this, special generosity. And I've only got a few examples of this, so please, this is not all of them. But one of them you heard about today, and that's Chris and Kim Keating. We have a young couple from our church that's fixing to leave to go for training, and then they're going to leave for Spain in June. Okay, many of you, and that's why I say they're kind of like a hybrid of special and strategic because many of you have already signed up and support them monthly and annually for their for their expenses when they go to Spain. Okay, however, you know, we're not going to send them off empty handed, Brent, you know, before they go to to Spain, we're going to have a fundraiser here (coughs) and we're going to give them some pocket cash, make sure they got some money to go on. Okay. So we're going to send that way. So, so there's opportunities there with Kim and Chris that's strategic, but it's also a special opportunity for generosity. Um, compassion. You know, some of y'all, many of y'all have compassion kids, okay? You, you give, you send $38 a month to a child somewhere in the world, okay? That's a special opportunity of generosity. Tom's kids and Tom's ministry. What happened when we took $5,100 up on that Sunday? That was special generosity. Amen. Special generosity. You remember, and it's wonderful. It's not the reason to do it, but the, the feeling that that brings is often very incredible. And then Samaritan's Purse. 
All the shoe boxes that pass through our hands and all the shipping costs that are covered. Those are all opportunities for special generosity. So sometimes you just give. It's spontaneous. So, and then sometimes it needs to be strategic and sometimes it's just special. Okay? There are so many opportunities for us to be a generous people. Now, I had an aha moment. How many of y'all remember, and if you still do it, that's cool. But how many of y'all remember if you're my age or even, let's say, let's say 45 and up, okay? Do you remember your mom and dad would give you some money, okay, and say, here, don't forget to put in your offering? Anybody remember that? Yeah, and it usually happened in Sunday school. Remember that? So, I, you know what mine was? I can tell you what mine was. A quarter. And every Sunday before I went to church, mom would put, you know, the three little ones, you know, Judy, Kathy, and Dwayne, would give us each quarter and say, don't forget to put your offering in today. Well, you know what I thought about? I said, oh, my gosh. You know, a while back, like actually a long while back, we realized, you know, we really didn't need to count attendance in Sunday school. We could do it during the office during the week. And that way we could free those people up for other, other responsibilities. And so we quit counting the records on Sunday morning for Sunday school. And along with that, somebody said, well, what are we going to do about the Sunday school offering? And we said, they just put it in the plate. Oh, no. I'm realizing now we messed up. Because now mom couldn't put the quarter in your hand and say, go put it in the offering. So I said, you know what, parents? we got to fix that. So I'm, I'm going to propose something. You know, I'm going to propose that before you come to church on Sunday, that you make sure your child who's with you in worship today, a dollar or a quarter, whatever it is, give them something to put in the offering plate. So you can teach them the value of giving. Teach it the value. You know, I actually went on Pinterest. Yeah, I know. I, I'm a happening guy, I guess. Anyway... But here's what the little thing from Pinterest, I don't know how that thing works. Don't just teach your children to count, teach them what counts most. Don't just teach your children to count, teach them what counts most. So I want to challenge you, parents. Start implementing a program where you give your child, or from their piggy banks, but encourage them to be a part of the worship of offering. Now, I know something Judy does I love. And, uh, you know, we do the kettle thing at Salvation Army, and she keeps dollars in her wallet. And um, I'm, sometimes it's me. She's, okay, do I go put your dollar in the pot, pot, you know? But I love it when she gets the grandchildren. And she says, okay, Ethan, okay, Hope, you know, here, here's the dollar, go put it in the pot. And you know what she's teaching? Generosity. Generosity. So parents, let's teach our kids. Amen? Teach. Listen, generosity is caught and taught. It's caught and taught. Talk. Let's make sure it's passed on. All right, last thing. Got five minutes. The first thing is this. Last thing is this. First Timothy 6, 19. And this is the coup de grace. Okay? Thus, therefore, in light of all that, Paul says, thus, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Do all that, Paul says, okay, because you're laying a foundation for a time yet to come, okay? And you're going to lay hold of the life that is truly life. You know what the life that is truly life is? It's the abundant life. Remember when Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that you may have life 
and have it more abundantly. That's the life that is truly life. So Paul says, you're laying a foundation for the future and, and you're grabbing a hold of what's truly life. I'm telling you what. You remember when Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than receive? That's what he's talking about. That there's a richness, there's a richness that happens in generosity. I call it endorphins, call it it feels good, call it what you want, but it just enriches your life when you're generous. Be generous, he says. Now, oh, I love this last scripture. It's a humdinger one. You know, in, in Luke 6, 16, 9, in Luke 16, 9, this is the same story where Jesus said the world's better investing than we are. Okay, it's the verse after that. I tell you, Jesus speaking, I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, when you first hear that, you sound like the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? He goes over, you know, he goes out and he's got his daddy's money and he's going to party and woohoo! Everybody likes the prodigal son. Okay? That's what it sounds like. But it's not. Again, look at it. Luke 16, 9. I tell you, Use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you'll be welcomed into eternal dwellings. He's not talking about here. He's talking about use your worldly wealth. Use it because it's a tool, okay? Use your worldly wealth to gain friends, to win people to the kingdom, and so that when it is gone, in other words, when the last heartbeat comes, not when the money runs out, But when you run out, okay, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This has to be the basis for Ray Bolt's song, Thank You. You know, thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm a life that was changed. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I'm so glad you came. It has to be that basis. And so here's the deal. Apparently, somehow, when you get to heaven and you've invested in the kingdom... Apparently, there are going to be people who will come up and go, thank you, thank you, thank you for giving to the Lord. That's amazing. That's amazing. And the last verse says this. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. In other words, if God can't trust us with a little, he probably won't give us more for us to be dishonest with. If we want God to trust us, we've got to be honest with what he gave us. What he gave us. And like I say, you know, I'm pretty sure God can handle the saving of the world without our dollars and our generosity. He just invites us in on it. We just get, we just get play along and be part of the deal. It's amazing. So I want to encourage you as we end this series on right on the money to really grasp hold. Now, you younger folks, you do such a good job of this. Just, just find something you believe in and give to it. Speaking of the kingdom, not saving dogs in Africa. Okay? But find the kingdom work and then buy into it and deliver that. And you are, I do believe we are blessed to be a part of a church that gets her hands dirty and has Jesus dust on her hands and feet. I'm grateful to be a church that is consistently in the top giving in missions in the state of Illinois. 
I'm grateful for that. We don't boast in that because we do it for God's glory and for his honor. But it's great to be a part of a winning team. Amen? It is. Let's pray. Well, Father, thank you so very much for this opportunity to share today. Thank you physically to make it possible for me to be here. And, uh, Father, now I'm just going to simply ask that you'll have your way in the invitation time. I want to pray, Father, that, um, that you'll continue to speak to our hearts about our generosity. There's so many opportunities. Uh, we just touched on a very few today. There's so many opportunities, Father, for us to share and to give. I want to thank you for Dorsville Baptist Church. I want to thank you for its generosity in giving. I want to thank you, Father, for their willingness to share. And Father, if there's someone here who's never experienced this marvelous grace, the most extravagant thing you ever do is extend your unmerited favor to whoever will turn from their sin and follow your son, Jesus. May today be the day they trust Christ. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.